we should have this conversation on air. <laughs> this this conversation okay. is getting longer. Um, Tap yeah. us back in. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and I'm on day, oh, I don't know, six or seven of a super fun cold that's not COVID. Uh, but, you know, it's rude that I have any sickness. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, uh, Martha Sullivan, and I also agree that it is rude for other diseases to continue existing while COVID is still upon us. Especially a disease that's like, what are the symptoms? Cold, sore throat and stuffy nose. Hmm, those symptoms sound familiar. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, well, uh, and now part of me, now part of me is always is always just kind of like, what if I've had COVID and tested negative because the tests are not one hundred percent sure, and spread it like some sort of. Some sort of typhoid I'm, Mary. I'm at this point. I'm of the opinion that like you have to live your life assuming the tests are accurate because otherwise you can just never leave the house. Um. So yeah, like I, I too might have had it at one point. Like you know, my my wife had it and we took zero precautions. Um. Uh. And I I didn't get it back then. Or maybe I did and always tested negative. I don't know. But I have to keep living my life or yeah, keep living my life like I never got it. Um, until I test positive, and then, obviously, react appropriately. I mean, but also, like, we can take basic precautions. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see enough people, like, I interact with enough people at, in my work life on a daily basis that I just wear a mask all the time, because it's like, well, even if I don't feel sick or test for it, like... I can, yeah. I can do my little bit You're... to make sure I'm not... <laughs> You're interacting with the public eight hours a day or more. So, yeah, makes makes sense. Um, well, we are in this uh, episode going to be talking about universes where maybe there is no COVID uh, or maybe COVID has killed, you know, 800 million people. Uh, because in this episode of Did You Do Homework, we are talking about multiverses. Uh, this is kind of a backdoor episode to get uh, Martha and I talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. But also, uh, there's just a lot of multiverse media happening right now, and so we thought it'd be fun to talk about it. Uh, but before we get into all that, and even maybe explaining what a multiverse is, uh, it's only fair to share with you, uh, our listeners, whatever is stuck in our head. This is the piece of pop culture that we just want to talk about uh, before we get into the actual homework proper. Uh, so, Martha, what is stuck in your head this week? Uh, demo for the new Fire Emblem game dropped. <laughs> um, Even if I didn't so follow you on Twitter, I would have known you were going to be playing this. <laughs> yes, so listeners to our show will know that I have a Fire Emblem Three Houses problem. And the demo for the new Fire Emblem game just dropped. It is a game called Fire Emblem Three Hopes. Mm. It is not a sequel to three houses it is in fact an alternate universe to three houses whoa wait, wait, wait yes. to sneak a multiverse into our multiverse episode 
Uh, yes. So same characters, same basic structure, but your player character is different. And the events from the first game play out differently in this game. Um, mm. Presumably because of how you are not the same person who meets the three main characters at the correct time in three houses you're a different character that influences things differently hmm. um which means that your player character from the last game who also exists in this game like then goes off and does their own thing Whoa, so you... and changes so so yeah. the, the the player character in the last game is an npc in this game yes whoa that's that's really cool i like that structure conceptually so really this is a chance for me to hang out with these characters that i love so much even more <laughs> um i don't love the combat of so far the combat in three houses was turn-based strategy mm -hmm. and the combat in this one is real time like doing giant attacks on hundreds of opposing soldiers at once and it's just, it's very chaotic. It's very hectic. I don't love it so much. And I forgot all of the combat controls that the demo showed me almost immediately. Yep. So I'm quite sure that once I've played it for a while, it will click a little bit better. Um, I just, I enjoyed the methodical, I got to enjoy the methodical nature of the turn-based system. And I'm a little bummed that they didn't bring it back. Although I get it because it's a different game. So sure. they want to distinguish it in some way. Sure. Um, I, I had the same problem when I was starting to play Witcher 3, which like the first hour is just an extended cutscene and then like training montage and then more cutscene. And then I had to put the game down because I only had an hour to play. So I was like, I've already forgotten all the combat mechanics and controls. Um, but after a couple hours, I had refigured out most of it. Um and then after a few more hours, I'm like, oh, I should be dodging more in this game, huh? Okay, well, <laughs> here we go. I don't go. dodge. I don't dodge and I don't use cover. It drives my husband crazy. <laughs> Do dodging is great. Obviously, I don't use cover and, like, I, I have not played uh, three hopes. Three hopes. Uh, three houses. I oh, well, I, I have not played three houses either. Um, I've played zero Fire oh, okay. Emblem. Um. Yeah, the Three Houses was the first one I had ever played. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had you and a couple other people tell me I should play it because it's like, it's Harry Potter, but with turn-based combat. I'm like, that seems intriguing, but also I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's, re uh, it's, I mean, that's a reductive. No, no, like, reductive they, they, they were saying that in a positive oh. way. Like, it's, it's a, you know, it's a Harry Potter because of the houses, like the, um. I was going to say, school. it is only that, be yeah, it is. Kind of more like if you put all of the protagonists from Game of Thrones into a boarding school. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that came out around about when Hades was coming out, so that's where all my all my Switch time was going. Um, yeah, I didn't pick up Hades until the pandemic. Right. Uh, well, uh, you and everyone else, because I don't think it came out until the pandemic. Oh, no. Did, oh, well, then Fire, Fire Emblem, Emblem was the year the before. Pandemic? Whoa. Yeah. Okay. I guess I was putting all my time into Stardew Valley then? Uh, unlike now Probably. when I'm putting all my time into Stardew Valley. So <laughs> I'm, I'm back on Stardew Valley. 
All right. Well, uh, is yeah. that what's stuck in your head or it do you is, have something different for us? It is not what's stuck in my head because I'm sure that between the two of us, we have spent almost an entire episode's worth of, of time talking about Stardew Valley uh, over the course of this podcast. Um, no, what is stuck in my head is the new Star Trek show, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, this is uh, premiering on Paramount Plus and um, it's Good OG TOS style Star Trek. Strange New Worlds follows Christopher Pike, Captain Christopher Pike, uh, played by Anson Mount, uh, who is the captain of the USS Enterprise. Uh, you might know him as the captain of the Enterprise before Kirk. Um, it's also got uh, Rebecca uh, Romajan. I don't actually know how to pronounce her name. Um, and a handful of other people. We have young Spock as the chief science officer. We have young Uhura as a cadet uh working on communications um and uh just a bunch of other super uh like it's it's fun there is no kirk yet there's no james t kirk uh probably because he doesn't show up until much later um but it's a great old school star trek where we have a we go to a new planet every episode and we you know discover some alien species and have some fun adventures uh the last episode that i watched they uh, discovered a um, an asteroid was going to crash onto a planet and it was being guarded by some, like, shepherd race that thought the asteroid was sentient and like a god and was going to either bring life or death and no one should interfere. And uh, shenanigans ensued. It was a fun old-school Star Trek uh, situation. Um, and it turns out that that's really my jam. Uh, I, I enjoyed Star Trek Discovery for the first season and a half, uh, speaking of multiverses, they go into an alternate mirror dimension in that one. But eventually it got too, like, soap opera-y and too plot-heavy. Um, and Star Trek is fun when there's a lot of just episodes of the week. Uh, and this is very much that. Um, yeah, I, uh, Martha, I think you're a little more hit or miss on Star Trek. I know you like the 09 J.J. Abrams uh, outing. That is that is currently the only Star Trek that I enjoy. Mm. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I think uh, my wife Marin is the same way. Uh, I thought the one with the whales was pretty good. I think that's Star Trek Four or Although five. I will tell you that I would have sworn up and down that that was a Picard movie, and it is not. No, that's a Kirk movie. So yeah. my memory of that one is also flawed. <laughs> I think that one was directed by Leonard Nimoy. Um I may also have seen the one with the Borg in theaters, although for the life of me, I don't know why. Yeah. Huh. I don't know if I've even... Oh, that's like First Contact? They go back in time? The one Maybe. with the whales? No, no, the one with the Borg. I don't think they go back in time in that one. Mm, okay. There might be multiple Borg episodes. Or movies. Whatever. Well, no, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah, mo like, movies. Like, it's a full on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and Data almost gets assimilated. Yeah, that sounds likely. <laughs> I I'm not super up on the movies other than Khan and then um like the JJ stuff. Uh, but I I like the episodes. I I like the show. Um, space space adventures on a on a boat is always fun. Um, so if if well, you're and I've heard really I've heard really good things about this new one. Like Especially this, from people who hated Picard very, very much. I liked Pic I haven't seen season two of Picard. I liked season one of Picard a lot, but I think a lot of that was like 
I'll watch Patrick Stewart in anything, and I'll listen to him read me the phone book. So, like, yeah, great. More Patrick Stewart. Um, uh, and, you know, I, so I, I liked that, but I also like this return to old school, like, Planet of the Week, where, you know, searching out strange new worlds, yada, 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 our five-year mission yada 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 um and it's it's that you know we we talked a couple episodes ago about like utopian or at least non-dystopian sci-fi and star trek is that it is a you know it's a post-scarcity uh quasi-socialist future where uh ever like you know there there are tensions and disagreements but how do we solve them by talking and sometimes shooting photon torpedoes at each other but there's a lot of talking before we do the shooting <laughs> Uh, and also there's, there's no want and there's no money and there's no, you know, scarcity and people do things because they like doing it. Uh, and it's like, that's a fun future to imagine. Um, even though it seems like it's getting farther and farther away. So I am just glad that it's like there, you know, there on screen and that there's a new generation of it where we're doing, we're doing a lot more of the, you know, encountering new people and talking our way through our difficulties with them in this episode in this uh show rather than like the the discovery like we're doing crazy science stuff and you know mycelial spores which don't get me wrong is cool but like it got it got bogged down on its own mythos a little bit All right, well, uh, we are going to take a short break, and when we come back in this universe, we will be talking about uh, the multiverse and, and a bunch of media properties involving multiverses. So um, either stick around in this uh, universe and listen to us here, or uh, jump over to a different universe if that is a non-appealing topic to you. Uh, but either way, we will be talking to you soon. And we are back. Uh, so what I was saying was that, no, we're not going to jump right back in, but off air we were having a heated discussion about two of our homework assignments. Uh, and we're going to jump right into them. So we had three homework assignments for this episode. Uh, two of them were Spider-Man movies. We assigned Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the 2018 uh, computer animated superhero film um, uh, featuring Miles Morales as Spider-Man. Uh, and also a bunch of other people as spider people, uh, because it's a multiverse movie. Um, we also assigned the, I guess it's technically 2021, uh, Marvel film Spider-Man No Way Home, which features Tom Holland as Spider-Man, um, dealing with the repercussions of a magical spell gone awry, where, uh, villains and heroes from previous Spider-Man movies that we've all seen on the big screen uh, sort of all come to either kill or save him. Um, that was a very quick and reductive uh, review or a, a synopsis of Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse, very quick review. I think we might have even assigned this as a previous 
homework or at the very I think least we did when we i think we did an, an, an animation episode where at, we talked about it yeah at the very least we had it on uh i think we fought as to who got to put it on their best films of 2018 list um well it topped it topped my best films of the decade yeah yeah so so we've talked about into the spider-verse uh many times but as a quick recap uh miles morales plays a uh a, you know, random teenager, as one does in a Spider-Man movie, um, gets bit by a radioactive spider. But in this version, um, uh, a bunch, uh, there's a, a MacGuffin that creates a uh, multidimensional portal, and a bunch of other spider people from other universes come into his universe and sort of teach him how to be Spider-Man and how to be a hero. Uh, so that's, that is Into the Spider-Verse. Um... It's very interesting, and sort of the crux of our discussion here is going to be about the fact that we have two Spider-Man movies that both hinge on multiverses, and audiences ate them both up. They were both critically well-received into the Spider-Verse more than No Way Home, but No Way Home was well-received. Uh, and of course, No Way Home was like the biggest movie of since the pandemic started. Um, and Spider-Verse didn't do too bad at the box office either. So audiences have no problem consuming multiverses with their Spider-Mans, and in fact, apparently really like it. So we've been talking about why. Why does Spider-Man work so well with a multiverse conceit? Um, and, you know, sort of, sort of like, what's going on here? Uh, Martha, you had some thoughts about it based on the comic material. Um, yeah, so I, I'm going to start by telling you a little story. Um, so my... I, I work have worked historically and predominantly with teenagers mm -hmm. and I frequently end up doing collection development that includes curating graphic novel collections at the libraries that I work at because it is an area that I'm already very well read in so it's easy for me to step into that and make those selections so when I was first starting out as a comic book selector um, I asked my teens like who are you reading? There are a lot of superheroes in the world. Who should I be buying? Far and away, like there was no contest. The most popular hero amongst teenagers right now is Spider-Man. Interesting. And I think that that has been true for a long time. Is that, and this is why. Is that all Spider-Mans or was that like, you know, oh, the Miles Morales run or the, the Peter Parker run? Or was it just like, it's Spider-Man. Who cares who it is? It depends. It depends on how old you were and what run was starting when you started to read comics. Okay. I mean, that that's true. Like, I right. feel like for yours and my generation, it was definitely true for X-Men. Like, yeah. we picked up, or I picked up the X-Men that was starting when I was starting to read comics. Right. So, and the reason I think is because, and this comes up a little bit in No Way Home, actually, because of the nature of Peter Parker's costume and because he is a very, like, ev like every man working class kind of person, mm -hmm. anyone can be Spider-Man. He's, he's a teen like, from Queens, and that's always who he's been, like, at his core. And he wears a complete hood, like... Anybody can be under that mask. Like there's a moment in No Way Home when Jamie Foxx's character sees Andrew Garfield for the first time and is like, I thought you were black. <laughs> <laughs> um, because he was seeing, like he was reflecting on 
Spider-Man. He was like, you're from Queens. You help low-income people. Like, I, and, I thought you were a black guy. Yeah, like, and, and, I think and that's the Queens because of 2012 is, is that. He is projecting his values onto a superhero that because of um, his costuming and his branding and all of that is very kind of blank slate-y. So I think that people no matter who Spider-Man is, no matter that we know that he's Peter Parker or Miles or Gwen Stacy or whoever, you can project yourself onto him when he's wearing his mask. Yeah, there, this is there's, also... that, there's that great scene in Spider-Man 2 after the train fight when, like, you know, his mask has come off and they're sort of hauling him back in and, and someone's just like, it's like, who is he, who is he? It's like, he's just a kid. I also think that the that Sony has done, you know, whether intentionally or because they just wanted to keep control of the Spider-Man property. It's that one. They've done a really good job at timing their releases so that pretty much any generation has a Spider-Man that they grew up with. Like your like millennials and Gen Zers and whatever they're calling the YouTubers these days. Um, we have all had a very distinct period in spider-man movie history to have enjoyed so like when toby Maguire shows up in no way home i cried yeah it's great <laughs> because because he's great and he's also doing this very effective like elder statesman kind of i heard him described as a youth pastor and i think that's the perfect description <laughs> of him <laughs> um but he has very strong it's a very strong or very similar energy to what jake johnson is bringing in spider-verse like as that kind of mentor figure peter parker to the younger um the younger spider-man that he now is like engaged with yeah well um, and and which andrew means... garfield gets like no way home is almost a reclamation project for the amazing spider-man movies because like those movies are not well remembered by our generation and then seeing garfield in no way home i'm just like he was so good as peter parker he was such a good like the movies were I... trash but he was great yeah. his first one was fun i enjoyed the first amazing spider-man movie I have I really almost did. no memory of it. The lizard dude. <laughs> I, I know, like, but I'm like, who is the bad guy or the lizard? Yeah, I have no memory of that movie. Um, the se I mean, the second one is too many villains. It, it's the same song and dance as most superhero sequels. Yeah. Um, but what all of this is leading me towards is I think that people respond very well. I think the multiverse works so well in Spider-Man because we are conditioned pop culturally to accept many different iterations of Spider-Man. Like, coming out with a new Spider-Man character does not um, provoke the same kind of ire as, like, making Thor a woman did, or... Riri Ironheart, the very cute black girl who is Iron, who was Iron Man for a while. Mm -hmm. um, like, we are already used to the idea of many people being Spider-Man. So we can have, it becomes kind of cyclical. So then we can have many people be Spider-Man. Yeah. Does that make I, sense? It, it does. Um... And I, I also think there's an important part, and you touched on this earlier, that 
Um, there have been Spider-Man movies in cinemas for 20 years now. Um, and during that time, there have been three hard reboots and whatever we're going to call it into the Spider-Verse. Um, where, where we're like retelling the origin story. So by the time we get to No Way Home, and, and honestly, by the time we get to Into the Spider-Verse, I, I think this applies mostly to Into the Spider-Verse, they can rely on a built-in audience like knowledge of like and and they sort of they they play this up for for like laughs a little bit in Spider-Verse where it's like listen we all know Spider-Man we all know his origin story uncle ben great powers great responsibility got it cool radioactive spider cool uh it's it's like batman with like the wayne's getting murdered in the alley we don't actually need to see it because everyone knows it so unless you're going to do it like fetishistically for reasons that are wrong um you don't need to show it you 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 don't need to teach audiences who this character is because audiences know who the character is so we can hit the ground running and begin giving alternate takes to the character which is what metaverses or multiverses do um whereas i think that if they tried something like uh, a multiversal um uh, like, I, I think that if in 2012 they tried a multiversal Iron Man where it's like, listen, we all know Iron Man's origin story. What if there were a bunch of other Iron Mans? Obviously, there's no comic basis for that, so it'd be strange. But also in 2012, I don't think the Iron Man brand would have been strong enough to that that the the filmmakers could have confidently predicted that movie-going audience would be like, yeah, we all know the Iron Man origin story. Let's let's go along with five other alternate versions of it. Uh, in the same way that by 2018, they can confidently say, listen, audiences know Spider-Man. We're going to quickly... We'll, we'll give the quick recap, and then we'll give eight other recaps for the differences, and people will be like, oh, that's fun. Peter Parker died, so Gwen Stacy became Spider-Gwen Spider in that universe. That's a nice little change. Um... And 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 so by the time we have No Way Home, we're just leaning deep into 20 years of, like, cinema history. And so we get, like, spoilers, Willem Dafoe back. And that's so much fun. And, you know, and as you say, uh, you know, um, uh, OG Peter Parker. I just, um, I just don't. I, I think that you may be underplaying how culturally ubiquitous Spider-Man was before the movies started. That's like there I is agree. Kind of, there is a reason that the Spider-Man movies were some of the first like high-profile superhero movies that were made. Yes, it's basically like like your initial properties are on the DC side, Batman and Superman, mm -hmm. and on the Marvel side, Spider-Man and X-Men. Um, Blade notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> and and X-Men is such so a, like, like, 90s property, because, uh, like, Fantastic... And, and Fantastic Four, which never figured itself out. Um, but which like, is wild, but that's a different... That's a different, that's a different conversation. conversation. But, like, Fantastic Four and, and, and Spider-Man like, are the OG stable Marvel-like heroes. Like, they were the ones who set right, Marvel and, like, apart from more DC. People, more people have to go to a movie than read a comic for it to be successful. Mm -hmm. But I do think that you have to have... Like, I do think they were banking on um, Spider-Man. Like, people not necessarily reading it, everyone reading it, but, like, knowing who he is. Right, and, like, Spider-Man had, like, and I think still has, like, a syndicated, um, 
you know, funny pages comic where nothing ever happens because it's three panels. So the first panels recap the last, you know, yesterday's panel. The last panel is set up the next panel is like set up the next day's strip middle panel one that thing is where, happens that is where my mother that is why that is why spider-man is my mother-in-law's favorite superhero <laughs> right but like everyone knows like okay peter parker spider-man what's his stuff bit by a spider got spider powers cool like that's that's what you need uh got, got an aunt got a probably mary jane but some people know gwen Stacy too cool um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I... I agree that I think that I think like the cultural ubiquity of Spider-Man since the 60s uh, has is an important reason why he was like why he's the one that becomes like the launchpad for the multiverse. Yeah. And I also think that that because he has been around for so long, he has. And I think the the kind of groundwork that I laid is why he why people accept him in so many iterations can i tell you my shameful secret yes of course i don't think no i don't think no way home is a good movie okay well you you said you had a lot of no way home thoughts that you were gonna lay on me um yeah so i think well okay so not that it's not good there were definitely parts of it that i enjoyed quite a bit um Toby i McGuire see, shows I see up, you gave it three stars on letterboxd i did yes um, it is a four to five star movie if you entirely cut out the first hour. The, no, not even the first hour. But when when Tom Holland Spider-Man decides to rehab all of the other universe villains, that plot sucked and the movie could lose it entirely. Mm. I I was intrigued enough by that because I was I was. I was brought I was bought into that part because I liked the idea of the stakes here aren't punch fight. The stakes here are can we save people um, from from themselves, from their own past mistakes, from their falling into a vat of eels, whatever. Um, and, and that's a like I appreciate, you know, what, 80, 27 movies into the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we're starting to push the boundaries of what the goals are other than stop a bad guy you know um, sure and i don't necessarily i don't necessarily disagree with the theory the execution was bad and i think that if you cut out everything that happens before andrew garfield and toby Maguire show up you don't actually lose any of the impact of them figuring out how to rehab their villains uh, all the, all that middle section does is give Peter more opportunities to make terrible decisions. I don't disagree. My, I, I thought it was weakest sort of at the beginning because it's so sweaty getting him to like get Doctor Strange to cast the spell. The whole spell thing is very sweaty. Um, and also like Stephen, be a grown up. What are you doing? He he is a grown up for a hot minute. I like when he's like, you didn't call the like admissions office. Go away. Go go do literally anything before you revert but to magic. But he also doesn't he doesn't explain what he's doing. Like he's just like, "Oh, we'll go do this thing. It'll be fine." And then Peter's like, "Wait, what?" All of that is oh, Wait, what? No. <laughs> that's I, I, on the one hand it's like, "Yes, the the problem here is that there's no communication and that is the worst reason for conflict or like problems in a movie." On the other hand, I kind of buy that Doctor Strange is like enough of a dick that he's just going to be like, "We're doing a spell. Everyone's going to forget you." 
Oh, wait, you didn't want that? Too bad. It just... I don't know. I I also think it's weird that um, Doc Ock gets, like, his chip gets fixed, and then he disappears for an hour. Like, where did he go? He, he had to, you know, go go see if his wife from the first movie, uh, the original movie, uh, was, you know, alive in this universe and uh, maybe see if he could have Is the power. True? No, I'm making this up. He, he had to see if oh, he could have, like, you know, okay. the power of the sun in the palm of his hand in this universe. Uh, and then he had to come save save him. He had, he had to come, like, you know, come back and save Peter Parker. I don't know. I loved every single like... moment that uh, Alfred Molina was on screen. I thought he did such a great job. It was exciting to see him back. Um, he did. And that's why I was like, where did he go? He yeah. could have been helpful i've i've heard that the entire premise of this movie was reverse engineered from um kevin feige and whoever else he was like brainstorming the idea of this movie with being like okay so who's our villain for the third spider-man doc ock that'd be fun but like alfred molina literally did it best we can't have him back and then they're like oh but what if we could okay how Um, can we get alfred molina back as doc ock and that's how that's literally how this movie came into existence um, I also cried when he and Tobey Maguire met had up their again. Moment. I know it's so and had their good. little and had their little conversation. The thing about Alfred Molina as Doc Ock is that he might be the best super villain. Like he he might be the best villain of any superhero movie. And I I you know I, I'm happy to hear counter takes, and I haven't thought this through like rigorously. But as my like first first dart on the board, he's going on the number one slot. Um, do we want to segue into multiverse as a narrative tool in, um, in general, other media or other kinds of stories? Yeah. Does that mean you want to introduce everything everywhere all at once? Ah, oh, Peter, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Start with everything. Oh. <laughs> and then segue into everywhere. Uh-huh. And spend the last, oh, I don't know, 2% of your description explaining all at once. Explaining all at once. So everything everywhere all at once is a 2022 um, film written and directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Uh, it stars Michelle no, Yeoh known as, as Emma as Wong. Daniels. The Daniels. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Everything Everywhere All at Once stars Michelle Yeoh as Evelyn Wong, Kei Hui Kwan as Raymond Wong, Stephanie Su as their daughter Joy, James Hong as uh, Evelyn's father, Jamie Lee Curtis as Deirdre... Oh my god. I Sorry, I did not realize this was her last name. Her character's name is Deirdre Bobirdra. I did not realize that was her name either. <laughs> yes. Uh, Tally Metal as Becky. Uh, Jenny Slate as Dog Mom. Harry Shum <laughs> Jr. as Chad. Oh, he <laughs> was a he was, Chad, Chad. Chad was um uh, Rakakuni, right? Yes. Oh, the best part, other than uh, hot dog hands. Yeah. A whole whole bunch of other people in fabulous roles. 
Um, it is roughly about the story of Evelyn, who owns a laundromat with her husband, Raymond, and has a tumultuous relationship with her daughter, Joy. Um they at, at some point early in the movie uh, Evelyn and Raymond have to go take their um financials to be audited and in the process of this Raymond turns into a different person explains to Evelyn that the universe that a big evil is seeping into all of the universes and that she is the one Evelyn in all of the universes that can stop the evil and save the world mm-hmm. Um, what follows is a martial arts action movie that is also a shockingly touching family drama as Evelyn learns how to access different... And an absurdist uh, comedy. And an absurdist comedy. Um, as Evelyn learns how to access different talents developed by Evelyn's from different universes, uh, in order to battle, um, the evil... What? Juju Jubaka. Yes. <laughs> um, Battle the Evil, and at the end, we all find out that it, it, it. At the end of it, we find out that it is my favorite kind of movie from the last couple of years, which is a movie about people learning how to express the way that they love each other to each other. It's a power of love movie without being sappy about the fact that it's a power of love movie but also without ever flinching from the fact that it's a power of love movie. Uh, also, Jamie Lee Curtis gives a deeply comedic action, comedic, physically comedic performance that I thought was incredible. Uh, so I, I just rewatched this uh, with Mara and she had not seen it before. And like when when Jamie Lee Curtis first shows up, she's like, oh, they got Jamie Lee Curtis for this. And I was thinking to myself, just wait. Just not only did they get no her idea. for this, look at what they got her to do, including rub her hot dog hands all over Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> did not love that. Apparently there was a spaghetti themed universe that didn't test well with audiences, so they cut it. Oh, bummer. I for, <laughs> like I I I was bought in from day one on the hot dog hands universe because it begins with a 2001 homage of hot dog fingered ape killing normal fingered ape. Um, and then it, it, it sells itself because at the, at the end, she's like, even the hot dog universe is good because they know how to use their feet. And then she uses her feet powers. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's so amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, also, so also the, doing... the, the, the metaphor for like nihilism in this is an everything bagel, which is just, I mean, I don't know, every, every single Every moment in this movie was not what I expected it to be, but in the best possible way. Yeah, she took everything and put it on a bagel. Mm-hmm. Her hopes, her dreams, Including, her fears, like, her wants, sesame, salt, poppy seeds. Craigslist <laughs> misconnection ads. Craig's, yes. <laughs> um, so here, here are some things that I have learned about multiverses. So the concept of the multiverse is very, very old, like Greek philosophy old. Um, it first shows up in literature in, in a 1963 science fiction novella called The Sundered Worlds by Michael Moorcock. Great name. 
And I believe that people are more familiar with this concept than they think that they are because the word multiverse does not necessarily show up to describe multiverses in stories. Mm -hmm. Like, as I mentioned before we started recording, the Dark Tower series by Stephen King totally counts as a multiverse. Terry Pratchett's Discworld books deal heavily in the concept of the multiverse. Like, there are parallel worlds and alternate realities and multiverses that splinter off from different decisions that happen all over pop culture. But I do think that comics have given us a sort of commonly understood language to describe them all. Everything Everywhere All at Once is also is not a comic book movie, but in a lot of ways it feels like one. Like it's it it feels like a movie that could only have come out after a decade of Marvel, where audiences have been slowly trained to accept this sort of storytelling. Like if this had come out in in 2004, it would have been much more of like a Donnie Darko situation, which is also a multiverse movie. Um kind of. Uh sort of like a, an underground hit whereas this is is much this is hitting much wider than a24 thought it would uh and i think that's because audiences are much are just more primed and willing to accept movies with this sort of premise uh because of a decade of of comic book movies I, uh, I oh no i say a decade 14 years 14 years of of marvel movies <laughs> um no it's when did iron man come out oh eight Oh, I could have sworn it was longer. Same, same year as Dark Knight. Um, what was I about to say? Uh, I was talking about a decade of Marvel movies, film goers primed for this oh, kind of storytelling. I also think, I also think that at this point, A twenty four has solidified its branding enough. Like, yes. I don't think everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once gets the same kind of attention if it comes out from a different distributor i entirely agree sidebar have you seen men not yet okay and end sidebar uh <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it was very fun but i'm also very glad i saw it in a theater where people could like like having the the audience experience of like oh cool you know all together helped um and end sidebar <laughs> <laughs> but talking a24 so yeah, and like A24 is also coming off of a really big year. Like they had Midsummer, um, they had the Green Knight. Lamb. Like they had a couple of... What? Lamb. I haven't seen Lamb yet, but I want to. I would like to too. Um, I don't know that that one got quite as much. No, that I feel that like didn't that one didn't hit. get the same kind of press. Like Green Knight, I felt like the marketing was very strong. Yeah, I, I saw a lot for that one, and for Lamb, I didn't really. Yeah. Um. And also, that was around the same time that they put out Zola, which was really great. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, again, I I think it helps that A twenty four like put their stock behind this, but also it's a really good movie. Um. And I think a lot of the concepts in it are more digestible because we have been consuming them or because we have started consuming them um, through like comics and other means before this. 
Yeah. This was, I think, one of the best visual representations of the multiverse that I've ever seen. Like, the way that they visualize um, Michelle Yeoh kind of traveling between, like, her consciousness traveling between realities was really cool. It is a very visually interesting movie. It's one of the most visually Um, fascinating movies I've seen. And it's also, when I saw this in theaters, it was, I I was very annoying when I left because I was like, the ancient Greeks invented the idea of catharsis and everyone was like, shut the, shut up. We're going to kill you if you keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (coughs) But I bring this up because it's like, I was having emotional whiplash of like, I was laughing. And then two minutes later, I was on the verge of tears. And then one minute later, I was laughing again. I, I, uh, the way I described it is I don't cry at movies and I didn't cry six times during this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Did you find the rocks to be the most emotionally affecting part? (laughs) I don't know if they were the most emotional. No, I will say they were not the most emotionally affecting part because I wasn't I wasn't not crying during those scenes. But that was a very powerful moment. That was also when I laughed the hardest. Yeah, I think that's why I wasn't not crying is because I was also just laughing about it. Um. And also, like, being in a theater and it's just being dead silent and just reading subtitles is... Anytime a film is able to do dead silence and it works, I'm I'm here for it. Um, it worked great in Matrix Resurrections. It worked great in uh, The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. Yeah, do, mm-hmm. like, de- dead silence after loud noises is something that filmmakers are starting to use more often and they should keep doing it. Um, uh, so what are the what are the kind of big questions you want to to get into here? Well, so we've we've talked about Spider Man and and Spider Man's thing with multiverses, but one one reason one thing I was thinking about with this was multiverses, as as you said, I'm I'm glad you did the research, are not new, but it does feel like we're in a moment now where there are a lot like let's call it the last five years. Um, where a lot of media has been doing multiversal stuff. Um, We didn't assign Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but that was kind of in the back of my mind when I was assigning this. We had, in in fact, the the little, like, art theater that I saw everything everywhere all at once, when I I, I saw Doctor Strange there as well. And the two movies, it's a a two-screen theater, and the two movies that were playing there were Doctor Strange and everything everywhere all at once. Uh, So it's like, oh, cool. Both movies that are playing here are multiverse movies. Um, so really the question is like, why do we think now and 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 now means like the last five or six years or so, has there been this big explosion of multiversal movies? Yes, I would love to hear your theory. I think part of it is effects driven. Like we now mm. have the special effects technology to do a lot of these really cool visualizations that make these concepts easier to comprehend. Hmm. Like it is much easier to get the visual than to have somebody like explain it to you. And the stuff right. that they're like doing can... in Spider-Verse, the stuff that they're doing in everything everywhere all at once. Well, everything everywhere all at once less so, but even that is a lot of really fancy camera work that cannot have been super common prior to making this movie. Right. Um, but like a movie like Spider-Verse could not have been made 
20 years ago, 10 years ago. Or even like, um, I mean, like you, you could do a, um, a Twilight Zone episode with a multiverse, but that would just be a dude in a suit being like, I'm you from another dimension. And it's like, okay, great. Right. Like, and I, I think we now, I think we have the visual language now and we have people like you and I who maybe grew up reading the sci-fi, reading the comics. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. And it, it's the same kind of thing where like, the people we we see we're seeing reemergences of the things that the creators grew up consuming um the like the reason why all pop culture is about the 80s and 90s now is because people making pop culture now grew up with the 80s and 90s yeah so like the people making comic book movies now probably grew up reading those comics mhm mhm like crisis on infinite earths and yeah yeah exactly yeah. Like how many how many nerds read Flashpoint and then went on to like creative uh, <laughs> cr- creative careers or you know Grant Morrison's Final Crisis, <laughs> Seven Soldiers, <laughs> Seven Soldiers is great, <clears throat> and and I I would say to piggyback off that and in a darker political direction because I am me, um I think 2016 messed up a lot of people. And for for good reason. And, you know, the 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 grapple with it was like, okay, what if, you know, what what if things had gone the other way? And then, okay, what if there's a universe where things went the other way? And then sort of expanding from there. Sure. (laughs) Or and I mean, also, it's a lot of FOMO, like, yeah, a the lot last of two Michelle Yeoh's yeah. character motivation in everything, everywhere, all at once is like once she starts learning about her in other places, it it does take on a little bit of oh my god the so the oh but that's what I wanted. The parts of the movie that I didn't cry at the most were the one with her in uh where where she plays Michelle Yeoh, uh, and it's just talking talking to um to Waylon in the rain um outside it turns into a Wong Kar Wai film thank you I was trying to figure out who the director was that it was mimicking uh yes Wong Kar Wai is exactly who it is um and yeah no like his Waylon's speech in the end about like why he like acts the way he does I definitely didn't cry both in the movies and also watching it here at home (laughs) just like yeah he's a nice guy trying to do nice things for people trying to live his life we should all. And we should all be trying. Wrong it. With that. No, we should all be like trying. We should all be trying to live a life like that. Um, but yeah, like as you say, like it's it's FOMO because it's like she's like I, I I want to live that life, and and he's like, I I would be so happy to be living a life where we have a laundromat and fight about taxes. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, I was like, good, because that's (laughs) the life that most of us have. Right, right. Uh, We we, we can't all have Rekakunis controlling us. Uh. (laughs) At some point, I thought that that joke would get old and it never did. It never did. And the best part about that joke is that it... It comes out as a very natural, like, oh, haha, she doesn't remember the movie, doesn't remember the animal, whatever. And then, like, it, it, it's the perfect improv bit where, like, the moment that the audience has forgotten about it, we're going to come back to it. And that's when we jump into the Rakakuni universe. 
Um, mm -hmm. But even better, we learned that a universe we'd already jumped to is the Rakakuni universe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's all connected. <laughs> uh, it is, in fact, everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, so so that's, how, anyway, tying it all back, It, it I, I do think you're right that it's a combination of, like, people creating content now have grown up on multiversal stories through comics, and, like, and the audience has been taught to consume increasingly complex multiversal narratives through the last 14 years of film, and also the fact that movie-going audiences are now increasingly, you know, our generation, uh, and younger, um... And there's a sense of, like, you know, th there's that lingering sense of, like, uh, what's it? Like, we're living in the dark timeline. We're living in the bad timeline. We're living in a simulation. So what are some alternatives? What are some better timelines? What if we could switch between timelines? Um, and and then the effects all sort of, like, tying together. That's a good multi-strand thesis. Yeah, I think it is... I think that a lot of things have kind of culminated in our ability to both accept and create these stories. Do we think? And that I find it a very ex oh, go ahead. Very exciting time to be a fan of genre stories. Yes, I think yes. people are doing really creative things. Hard, hard um, agree. Everything ever is one of the most creative movies I've seen in like a decade. Um, I. Also, just real quick, want to throw out in terms of the ubiquity of multiverse stuff, let us pour one out for Fringe, mm. that network TV show that relied very heavily on the multiverse. Very true. Uh, and that, that was like, what, the 90s? So, like, again, people who consume that as, like, 20-year-olds are now, like, spearheading projects. Early aughts. Early sure. aughts. I think we were in high school, early college when it was coming out. Whoa, you think it was that late? Well, because the '90s um, was X Files. Disclosure: I never watched Fringe. Um, also, was was Sliders? Yeah, it was like Lostish era. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, that that was then. Mm. Um, do we think that multiverse stories are still like? Do we think that right now we're sort of at like a flashpoint where they're very popular and saturating the media environment, and in ten years they're just gonna go back to being sort of like fringe genre cult like cult classic sort of storytelling tropes or um do you think that they have a bit more staying power than that idle speculation i think they will probably rotate out of fashion i don't think they will go away forever because like i said they've been around for too long yeah um but we will probably not hit the same kind of year where we have like three high profile multiverse stories ten. coming out in the same year. <laughs> 10 years from now, I'm not going to be able to go to a movie theater and have both screens play multiverse movies. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I think they'll probably rotate out, but I, I don't think they will. I, I, I think they'll, they'll remain as tools for writers to use. I think that it'll pop up more often in TV shows just because there will, you know, be a billion TV shows still. Um, unless there aren't, and there's a collapse in the, in the uh, TV industry because of uh, the death of streaming. Um, 
But I, I, I feel like multiverse storytelling is so well made for TV that it's going to sort of leave cinema to an extent and get really big in TV. Sure. I mean, we've already seen it happen. I mean, the CW does it a lot. Right. Yeah. But like, I, and like, no, no shade on the CW. Like the, the CW is like raw genre with very little crossover appeal to people who aren't already watching like Legends of Tomorrow. You know, like they're, they, they've got their niche um, and it's a good niche, but it is not like, you know, they, they are not the well, water but cooler I mean, show. They're, they're also showing things like Supernatural, um, Riverdale. Sure. Like, is, is, all I, of I guess, this stuff has... Like, that's not like water cooler, like the, like the breakout show, you know. Um, whereas I, I feel like I could see a breakout show being a multiversal show in a couple years. And that's that's what not to mean? denigrate the CW, but um, no, I just I'm not quite sure prestige what you're television. talking about. Like prestige okay, television, I mean, we're watching it on Sunday nights and tweeting about it and it's on HBO or whatever. I was going to say, you do know the audience for Supernatural was enormous, bigger than yeah. Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. how that's how network shows survive by being right. Like huge. The, 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 the number one show for 18 years in a row is CSI. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware. Yeah. OK, <laughs> uh, but but like it's it, it's not capturing the cultural zeitgeist in the same way that like Succession is. Um. I think Succession's pretty niche. I this could be my like, you know, Twitter bubble. Uh, but it's like it's like what do people who talk about media professionally write about? Um, and I like think that, that that's a different question from what people are commonly watching. I don't disagree. Um, so okay. I, I, I am talking specifically about like what are the drivers of taste and pop culture on TV talking and writing about, a.k.a. your succession and Barry fans not the well, and I millions of people watching CSI and Supernatural and all the rest of it. I was going to say, I think that is a different question from what shows are driving networks. Well, so 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 what what I'm actually saying is that I would not be like obviously shows like Supernatural um and and like your your CW's uh verse um dive routinely into multiverses but i would not be surprised if in the next couple of years there is the um the prestige hit that uh is sort of multiversal in its orientation um and i think that if we get that it will be because more mainstream properties have made that language more accessible yeah i i don't disagree I, I think that, like, you know, Spider-Man, No Way Home, Multiverse of Madness, everything everywhere, all everything else, like, it's going to create a, a little cottage industry for for a hot moment of, uh, like, ooh, what if multiverse? Sure. And and one of them might break through as, like, a, a prestige television hit. Uh, or maybe not. In this universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's 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 my asterisk for everything in this episode great well uh anything else you want to talk about on this or does that feel like a pretty good place to wrap it up yeah i'm good cool 
All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on uh, any of your favorite podcatchers. Uh, just look for, you know, did you do your homework? Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, whatever else. Um, I don't know if you're supposed to like us, follow us, click subscribe. Whatever it is that that podcatcher wants you to do, you should go do that. Um, you should also give us a five-star review, assuming that five stars is the highest number of stars. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DYDYH Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook by searching for Did You Do Your Homework Podcast, and then immediately deleting your Facebook. Uh, you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com uh, for suggestions, ideas, literally whatever you want to email us about. Um, Martha, what are you plugging? Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Magical Martha. Cool. Follow me on Letterboxd. Sometimes I write reviews. Yeah. Any other podcasts you happen to be doing? Yeah, I do love you on alternating weeks with this one where Pete's wife Marn and I watch an adult rom-com or teen movie and then talk about it in detail. Uh, our last episode was about the Netflix original series Heartstopper, which is based on a YA webcomic of the same name. And our next episode will be on the brand new Hulu original movie Fire Island. Which is apparently based on Pride and Prejudice. Correct. Mm -hmm. uh, and is also very gay. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, spoiler, Marin liked it. <laughs> oh, good. I haven't yeah. watched it yet. Good. Yeah, that'll be a good up, I think. Um, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, where I'm talking politics and pop culture. Uh, and you can also follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, you can find me by searching Pico3000 or P. Romberg, uh, R-H-O-M-B-E-R-G. I don't rate movies because I find that intimidating, but I do tend to leave reviews of movies. Um, and I log everything. I uh, the, the reviews are... Anywhere from actually useful to uh, my review of rewatching everything ever all at once was simply Jujujubaka, which was one of Michelle Yeoh's mispronunciations of um, uh, Jobutubaki. Um, so, you know, ranging from useful to not useful. Um, uh, it drives me crazy that you don't rate anything. Yeah. How am I supposed to know if you liked something? <laughs> well, you should read my review that says Jujujubaka and know that I loved it. <laughs> um, some Sometimes, and especially for newer movies, I will have a, a review that at least explains if I liked it or not. Um, so we are coming into summertime, summer season, and uh, this is a show called Did You Do Your Homework? And so we are going to take a bit of a summer recess. Uh, we're going to probably release a couple episodes uh, over the course of the summer. Uh, old um, rerun episodes where we might sort of have a little fresh new intro. Uh, but in the fall, we're going to come back and we're going to come back swinging hard. Martha, when we come back in the fall, what are we doing? Here's my thesis. The Purge is a send-up of modern folk horror uh, and is secretly a modern folk horror masterpiece. Discuss. <laughs> Martha, standing hard for The Purge. Pete has seen zero purges thus far. 
Uh, so I will have to watch a bunch of purges, and then um, you all no, know that we love really? folk horrors, so we're gonna get really into only. It. I'm only gonna make you watch the first one because the thesis breaks down the more of them that you watch. Okay, okay. So, so you're not talking the purge media property. You're talking about the film titled The Purge. Correct. Got it. Got it. Uh, well, I have. And I uh, also think that we should. I also think we should watch the original Wicker Man. Again, didn't we already? Just okay. as a point, yep. Just as a point of comparison. First off, twist my arm to watch that very fun and good movie. Um, <laughs> uh, that's not a joke. It's a great movie. Um, second off, yeah. So we're gonna come back swinging in the fall, just in time for harvest season. Uh, with the purge as the American modern uh folk horror movie. Uh, and until then. Enjoy having a very good summer recess. Uh, hope you all get to go to the beach, go on some vacations, do something fun. Um, I'm going to be doing a few of those things and like repainting a house and a bunch of other stuff. Martha, you're probably going to be doing a bunch of stuff too. Uh, summer reading unpacking. program. Unpacking. Right? Yes, and unpacking is my life right now. Great. Uh, so we will talk to you in a couple months when we come back from our summer recess. And until then, school's out for summer. Class dismissed. <laughs>also just historically have not enjoyed the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies as much as everyone else although I should see the second one at some point